Hi, this is Steve Roost and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. Each week we give you the best news, views and interviews from the health technology world. From CEOs and founders to entrepreneurs and clinicians. The companies and people that are shaping the future face of healthcare. All on the world's number one talk health radio. Hello and welcome to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio. My name is Steve Roost and each week we bring you the best news, views and interviews with the founders, leaders and clinicians who are driving the health tech revolution in the UK and beyond. I'm a CEO and founder of a health tech company myself and I am passionate about the people and companies who are changing the world. Before we get into today's guest and before I introduce him, I would just like to remind everyone, please follow us on all of the socials, which is at Health Tech Hour. And please make sure you follow UK Health Radio, which is at UK Health Radio, to keep a track of all of the great content coming up on the station. So over the last few weeks, everyone will know that's been listening, that we've been in a bit of a run of featuring companies that have been identified by the NHS as, as health tech that they want to accelerate into the NHS. So last week, we spoke to Adam Hunter from Flow, which is the same day delivery service of digital pharmacy. So you can order your prescription and get it delivered within hours, which is an incredible service. And this week, we're speaking to Lars Greeton from Fibrocheck. Um, Lars is the CEO and founder. And Fibrocheck has, I just read their press pack, and they have won so many awards, it's hard to keep track of them, um, which is obviously a testament to what an amazing product that they've built. And not only that, they were the first ever heart rhythm app approved by the FDA, so, which is an incredible statement. So the, what Fibrotech is, but Lars can give us a bit more information, it's the first ever app for the early detection of heart rhythm disorders using just a smartphone, using just an app. And I didn't realize this until I read more information and spoke to Lars in our pre-production meeting, is that 20% of all strokes can be attributed to heart rhythm disorders. So Lars, welcome to the show. How are you? Good, good morning, Stephen. Doing great here. Thanks for the opportunity to be here. Good. And where are you exactly? Belgium. Uh, east of the country, close to the Netherlands, but in the small country of Belgium. Right. We're, in, we're international. We had someone on the other day from Berlin, and now we've got Belgium. So we're kind of increasing our, our footprint. And um, are you, what's the situation in Belgium like? Are you guys in lockdown or what is the, what's the situation? We, we are in strengthened rules or enforced rules where we are not able to work on site. So everybody is locked to home office as much as possible. But there are some um, regulations that we are tied to our houses, I would say. Okay. So it's a pseudo lockdown kind of principle. Okay. And what's the mood in the camp at the company? How have you guys been through the pandemic? Have you been continuing to work? Has, what, what, how have you guys managed it? Well, we, we are blessed as a digital company that we don't have any need for physical location to work. Okay. So the, the home office has been going well, I would say. So I think we're now a year um, started working at home. But you feel that the social connection or the social tissue within the company requires human interaction or the social interactions. And yeah. that's something we're, we're starting to feel very hard. So I think we're craving for... Um, having some beers and some pizza again. And then yeah, right. I mean, it's been a while, hasn't it? Exactly. So uh, it's Zooming all day long and that's, uh, that's getting Zoom fatigue, I would say. Yeah, I mean, I can, I know that we're on Zoom right now, but um, <laughs> the, um, it is, 
sometimes I just like to call people on the phone, you know, just like, like, just like we used to, as opposed to getting on another, another Zoom call. Um, So as regular listeners will know, the show is split up into three parts. So the first part is what we call like an origins part. So how did you come to be doing all of the incredible things that you're doing? The second part is about all of the incredible things that you're doing. So how is Fibrotech changing the world? And I know that you guys have a great story um, as to the origins of it. And, and, and actually what you're doing is, is actually kind of amazing. So I'm very interested to get into that. And I also know, which comes on to the third part, that you've evolved what you're doing um, and your mission has actually changed and maybe grown. So we can get into that in the final part. So why don't we start with how you got to be involved in digital health or health tech? Yep. Um, the, the story starts now, I think almost 10 years ago when um, in my previous life, I studied biomedical sciences, did a PhD in life sciences. Okay, in Belgium? Actually, in Belgium, got tired of the laboratory environment and was seeking something new. Came across a very interesting job application at a local hospital, um, okay. which is offering research coordination but at that point in time, the smartphone was now two, three years in the market. You felt okay. that there was very um, interesting explorations ongoing there. And that I started to learn from this hospital environment that there seems to be a digital opportunity. And okay. we organized our ways of working there, that the research was focusing on health tech, basically. But was this still in academia, by definition? It, it's a bridge between academia and regular hospitals. So it's like this okay. interface that has been created. And that create a lot of opportunity where you felt the real world questions without any academic historical setting, but yeah. still affiliated to a university that enables the research components. Okay. And that, that created a very productive uh, environment to work in and to explore things. So, so would, it, would it be like the hospital might come to you and say, look, we have these clinical problems. Could you work on a solution or how would, how would that interface work? So that interface was very specific to the the nature of the hospital there. So I'm living in a a neighborhood where we have a university, but we don't have a university hospital. Okay. We have have two very um, advanced tertiary care centers. Okay. And the university actually installed research units in those hospitals to do academic research in a regular hospital. So it's a very strange environment. This means that there were no investigations or I would say uh, research tracks already ongoing and every started from, everything started from scratch. So you had the opportunity to come up with an idea and actually start investigating that work. Okay. And, that, and one of those components actually was then becoming mobile health. So we okay. um, created a mobile health unit and a future health department okay. that actually focused on these new kind of innovations and what could be done and what advantages could be gained. So that, uh, that's actually the starting point for my journey. Okay, and give us some examples. When, what, type, what, what year was this? 2012, 2013, or when was this? 20, 2012. So uh, back then, we, the smartphone was three years on the market. The, you had the first connected device coming out, like a, um, a Bluetooth-connected uh, blood pressure device or Bluetooth-connected okay. weight scale. That right. was a time when they thought they could solve heart failure with blood pressure and weight uh, monitoring. And the idea was, let's give it to every heart failure patient and see right. what comes out of it. Okay, uh, what of course, came that out of it? Well, not much actually, because the pathology <laughs> is way more complex than that. But it did open some perspectives, like for instance, the area of uh, preeclampsia, so pregnancy okay. uh, complications, okay. where hypertension is an issue. So yeah. taking that blood pressure device and giving it to a pregnant mother yeah. seems to be way more relevant. And then right. there, an entire research track started, which has some some groundbreaking work being done today there. So okay. that's pretty interesting to see how we could actually tackle these these topics. 
Okay. On the other side, you had physicians coming in with questions to say, hey, I have this problem in real life. I right. cannot help this patient. Can you figure out a way that I can help this patient? And then you okay. create, become this interface to find solutions, combining technology and healthcare together. And that's actually where the, the seeding ground came forth. Okay. And um, within that, because it sounds like an incredible environment, actually to bin in was it did you realize at the time that you were involved in something potentially quite special or was it just you were just so busy like what kind of perspective did you have on it then um we didn't we, we it felt special because it was completely different than usual care i have to yeah. say uh, and back I, I back then apps were considered only as games and yeah physicians did not, not not all physicians accepted this as a regular thing so it was like yeah. Oh yeah, you're doing research. That's fine. Just see what happens come out of this. But you felt innate. You felt in yourself that they're at the, at the start of a changing point in healthcare. Yeah, and that digital health is actually growing, and will continue to grow. And that there there is no place that digital health will not be in after X years. So right. it felt the right place to be for the right mindset, I would say. Okay. But the ecosystem it still needed to evolve and change a lot to get that perception. Okay. And then um, at the time, at what point, or where, what, was the, what were the real origins of where you ended up? When did you kind of start to think about the, the work that you have ended up doing with Fibrichek? How did that kind of all get woven together? There, um, there was a very interesting, uh, so a cardiologist came with a very interesting question. And this question was actually very simple. He says, Lars, I have a patient and he's always complaining about symptoms and palpitations but every time i give them a halter to monitor themselves at home for for 24 hours or 72 hours i'm not able to find the problem why can't this person just take out a smartphone and do a recording and send me something back okay no idea how and that actually became one of the research topics we we found quite exciting and interesting so can we right. develop something and so that that's kind of like is that kind of like the idea where these incidences of heart problems are not predictable by definition yep. so but in order for a cardiologist to take action they need to see data exactly so how do you kind of solve that issue yeah so so with with heart rhythm problems you basically have three three variables to take into account one uh, heart rhythm problems are not always felt, uh, so meaning that you can have okay. them without even knowing them. That, would, that's why they, they're called yeah. silent killers. Yeah. Uh, two, they can come and they can go, meaning that you can have a problem right now, but by the time you're at your physician, it can actually be gone. And he says, yeah. I, you're imagining things because I don't see anything right now. Yeah. And three, you have so many different heart rhythm problems that you actually have the mild ones, which are actually harmless, to those that are actually harmful. And you as a person, if you experience something, you only feel a symptom. You can say, I feel my heart racing, yeah. but you have no idea if this is normal or not. And then you need a tool that is able to capture it in time, make sure it can quantify it and actually show you what it actually was. So mm. you need to, to solve this, okay. this problem. And at the time when you started on this, was this like 2013, 2014, yeah. somewhere in that range? 2013. What, 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 was the compa- what was the nearest best comparable? Like, What was the market like? Yeah. ECG. So it, it, it's going to a physician, sit on the table, put some wires on your body, 
lighter for 10 seconds and you have a 12 lead ECG, which is the gold standard. And okay. if it could not be found at that point in time, you would be provided with a device that you stick to your chest. Okay. It has some wires and you go home for 24 hours and they hope that they can record it while you're in the home environment. That, that is, that is the technology that was, that was available. Okay. On the completely other side of the spectrum, if this, nothing of this helped, you could actually get a device that is implanted under your skin wow. and actually record your heart rhythm for three years. But that's already a very big step to take. But in between, yeah. there's no gap. That so almost fun. like, is that almost kind of like a pacemaker almost that records? It, it's like, it, it's an implantable recorder, basically. It, it okay. only records, it does not pace. How many people ever had that? Because that seems like a very extreme, a very extreme you know, if you think about the, the cost of the surgery, the risk of the surgery, the, you know, all of the things that would a healthcare system might think about to measure a heart rate, implanting something <clears throat> seems quite, um, what's the word, like quite an extreme. But did that, was that quite common? I've got no idea. No, no. In 2012, these technologies were also surfacing very recently. Okay. Uh, they're called the injectables. So they're like a syringe that injects them under the skin. It's very okay. fancy technology. But it is not common practice because the cost of the technology is very high. Yeah. And it's only reimbursed in very specific cases. So the right. bulk of the population is actually not able to get such a device today. They wouldn't qualify for um, it. Then would not qualify for it, indeed. And then the question is, how do you help them? And then that's right. a big question mark that needs to be resolved. Okay. And like... I know, you know, how, when we talk about heart rhythms, you know, you mentioned there was, there's some heart rhythms that are okay and some heart, well, heart, some um, arrhythmias that are dangerous, some that are not dangerous. W- w- what's that kind of split? I mean, how many, what, what's the percentage of heart arrhythmias that, that should cause concern and should be recorded and should be sort of monitored and treated and so on? Yeah, I, I, would, I would like to put them in three different buckets. So I would say the ones that are not very dangerous or mm-hmm. the mild ones, you have the ones that are uh, dangerous but not life-threatening. They're disabling. Yeah. And you have the ones that are life-threatening. I'm not talking about the life-threatening one because okay. these are the people like soccer player that was running on the field and suddenly drops dead. That, that okay. kind of people, that's something we cannot help because that's that's because of specific reasons in the heart that are very difficult to monitor and to look okay. for. Okay. And that's also a very small fraction of the population. That yeah, I would imagine really that's the, quite a small percentage. Yeah. Looking at the other segments, then you can actually see these other arrhythmias. Uh, the biggest chunk of the population, they have skipping heartbeats. It, okay. it, they can be very worrisome because people can experience them very badly, but in general, they need to be comforted. And if the frequency is not too high, there's no action to be taken. So I would say that's typically how that is perceived. But then the, 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 the disabling heart rhythm disorder, which is called atrial fibrillation, mm. it is something that is causing the heart to uh, to become very chaotic, especially okay. the upper chambers of the heart. And if that happens, then you get um, blood that is not circulating very well within the heart. Okay. And if blood is standing still in the corners of the heart, then okay. you actually can form a blood clot. Okay. And that is, that is of course, becoming a danger because if mm-hmm. that's happening on the left side of your heart, it means that if that dislodges, it can travel across your, your body. Yeah. And that means it has two ways to go, either upside or downside. Yeah. Uh, and if it goes up, it goes to your brain. And yeah. That means that if it gets stuck in there, you get a stroke. Yeah. So atrial fibrillation is causing strokes. And approximately on an entire population level, 2% of the people have AF. 2% two, 2% of the entire population. Yes. And will if you have, on a we'll, lifetime we'll, risk, it's right. one out of three. So 
Wow. Out of three people, one of them will ex- develop AF in their lifetime. And is it so? It means it becomes very close. And when you say develop AF, is AF a one? Is it a condition or is it like a, an episode, like a moment? It it is a condition that is that is able to come in episodes. So it's a very okay. so I would say um, when your heart is aging, to put it very simply, it is possible that there are some. Uh, changes happening which causes these uh, chaotic uh, firing of the heart yeah and that occurs more with elderly so the older you get the more risk you have in developing afib that's really western disease as well because okay for society we're, we're aging very well but that means that we are becoming more prone to these chronic conditions okay and af itself is uh, a problem on its own but even if you combine af with other problems like high blood pressure all these components yeah then you even could induce heart failure and even more complex pathology so okay. it, it typically is not alone it is always associated with something else that's connected to okay and so what was your route in from all of that kind of baseline yeah. knowledge into the solution that that that, that is fibrotech the Back then, we did not have that vision and that perspective on the world yet. So we were just looking at how can we help this cardiologist. Okay. And uh, since we did not have a lot of budgetary resources, we worked a lot with students. So okay. we worked with the local university. We sourced in uh, engineering students and we sourced in biomedical science students and we put them in a team together. Okay. And we gave them as a challenge, okay, let's use only a smartphone and see how you can actually monitor the heart rhythm. And they came up with a technique called PPG or photoplatysmography. Yeah, it's I'm glad you said because I, I I I know I can I can say the abbreviation, but I can't say the full thing. What's what is it again? Photoplatysmography. Okay, which is a technique that is actually very simple. It, it means that if you shine light into a tissue, a human tissue, for instance, and you would record the the returning light, you would mm-hmm. able to see variations in intensity. Okay, and every time your heart beats, it sends blood through your body. Your small uh, vessels in your skin, they will expand and contract every time blood passes by because of the blood pressure waveform. And that means that if more blood is in the vessels, more light is absorbed. If the the blood pressure waveform is fast, less blood is in the vessel, less light is absorbed. And in such a way, you can actually measure a pulsatile signal, which is reflecting your heart rate. That is what every heart rate sensor is doing, every wearable that you have. That's There's what it does. I was, gonna, I was actually going to ask exactly. what other things use PPG. So Exactly. The, so any smartwatch watch today. PPG. Yes. Okay. So those green lights, they are optimized to record your heart rate. But if you do this, and that's a, one of the biggest challenges with this signal, it's a very noise-sensitive signal. Okay. If for heart rate, it's okay. But if you want to do heart rhythm, it yeah. becomes very tricky. And that means that you are very accurately need to record these signals. Why, why does it become tricky? Just because of the nature of what you're doing. It's just, it, or is there a specific challenge? It, it is um, the fact that you're using light. It means that it's very sensitive to motion because you okay. are able to shift the device and your body okay. tissue can deform. And therefore you actually have different noise factors into this. Okay. And the fact that you are looking at a very low frequency waveform Mm-hmm. You're not able to find signatures. So if you okay. would take an electrocardiogram, right. you would see that you have a signature in your signal, which is at a specific bandwidth. But with PPG, this is in a noise band. 
Okay, so, so let just, just, figure just, out for the, just for the listeners, just, just for the listeners. Yep. So everyone probably, I'm sure, on TV, some people might know this already, but you, you've, or they might have had an ECG, but you, it's a quite spiky, basically, right? And what you mean yep. is that, unless you correct me if I'm wrong, the the spikes of that wave form a signature because exactly. it's more specific. But PPG doesn't allow you to do that because you're effectively measuring the, 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 just the contraction or expansion of a blood vessel, which is, you're you're basically measuring a sine wave and that sine wave can be created by so many things because it's not very specific. That's very simply stated. So if you would put your Apple watch on a banana, you would see a heart rate. Is that right? Yeah. I don't actually have any bananas, but I would love to, I'm going to do that at some point. (laughs) Okay. Okay. This is like a side, how, but okay we can get into the banana thing on another that's an amazing <laughs> thing so okay that's kind of throwing me off slightly throwing me so throwing me off my rhythm okay so you you um you worked with the students and you presumably came up with a sort of okay this could be feasible you found the ppg was anyone else doing ppg at the time or was that like a really new thing it it was only used for the first heart rate app so fitbit Back then, came out with their sport watches. They want to do track your heart rate while running. Yeah. So that 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 was a segment that was arising. But in our project case, we only had to work with a smartphone, which there are no PPG sensors on board. So your smartphone does not have no. these specific LEDs and sensors like you have on your smartwatch. No. And we only have a camera and a flashlight. Yeah. And that basically operates in the same function. Okay. So we build our solution around the camera and the flashlight in order to records the heart rate and heart rhythm uh, through this uh, through this system okay so walk us through if i'm a fibrocheck user or yep. you know i can download it directly from the app store i believe i can sign up myself for the service yep. what happens what do i what what like what's the consumer view and then also what's actually kind of happening in the background so from a, from a user perspective, it is designed to be as simple as possible so that your mom, mom and dad can actually use it. They are right. typically technophobia. So it's like it, there, there cannot be too much bells and whistles on this device. So it's, we designed it to be very simple and, and, and uh, uh, okay for, for elderly. Uh, but basically, you go to the App Store, you download FibriCheck. Yeah. Uh, it will ask you to create an account. Then you just fill in your personal details because yeah, the information is relevant to have. And then you can actually choose a model in which you want to use the, the applications. Like, do you want to connect to a doctor or do you want to use it as a, as a, as a consumer? That, okay. That's a decision they can make. But then once you're in the application, it says just a one big button, record my heart rhythm. And okay. then it will prompt the user very simply just to put the finger on the camera of the phone. So the flashlight okay. automatically turns on. You put your finger on the phone and then a recording will start to happen automatically for 60 seconds. 60 seconds. Yeah. Okay. The user just needs to sit still. Right? They can just yeah, look at the screen or just uh, it's one, one minute. They need to sit still. And then after this one minute, we will ask them two questions. One is what were you doing? Were you sitting? Were you walking? Were you running? Just to have some context information. Okay. Okay. Uh, because if, let's say, if we find a high heart rate and you were sitting still or you were walking around, that's a different clinical perspective. Yeah. And the second question we ask is, were you experiencing any symptoms? So okay. what, what were you feeling? I did not okay. feel anything or I felt palpitations or something else. Okay. As soon as they enter those two values, all the data is automatically sent to our cloud. Okay. Uh, and in the cloud, we have an artificial intelligence algorithm running that actually will analyze this one minute signal, yeah. analyze each, every heartbeat and actually decide, hmm, 
what what did I find in here? Okay. Uh, did I was it normal? Was it possible atrial fibrillation, or was it something else? And if it's something else, what could it be? And that that analyzes the signal, and then it's sent internally to uh, technicians that actually can look at the data and understand if the algorithm was right or wrong. Okay. And then it ships a report back to the user. So it's like a complete end-to-end circle that is being created okay. to enable remote monitoring. Okay. And why? What is the? What is it that you're trying to solve with this? Or what is the major yeah. problem or major problems that you, you know, the, the reason why you? Well, I guess what was the? You, you you did the research project. You realized it was something that was feasible. That's still a long, long way from where you are right now. So was there some kind of epiphany or some kind of, you know, something that happened that you said, oh, my goodness, this we have to do this? Exactly. So it all it's all fun and nice with a research project because you, you work in a very consolidated environment. But suddenly my, my own father uh, got a stroke. Okay. Um, and then it became very close by what's actually happening. Yeah. Uh, but more interestingly, when he was admitted to the hospital, he was completely paralyzed on one side. Okay. They could not find the cause of the stroke, um, meaning okay. that there has been an unknown cause. And then they started monitoring because they thought maybe it's a heart rhythm disorder and we need to find it. So he was monitored for an entire week. Yeah. But they couldn't find anything. Uh, and he okay. said, okay, yeah, sorry, this is unknown cause stroke. Um, how, how, then, common is, how common is an unknown cause stroke? Is that common or I have no idea? Um, it's it's <laughs> 20% of the time. Wow. So it's, it's pretty, pretty impressive. That's pretty high. How, how often this comes. Yeah. And then we, we had this research app lying around and I said, Dad, why, I mean, we're building this. Why not use it? And yeah. uh, he started using it. It was actually pretty, pretty okay. A couple of weeks, he was trying it two times per day. Uh, I would say we, we got some data. But suddenly one night he was saying, I don't feel very well. And, and not like symptoms, but like just a little bit fatigue. So like yeah. a stressful day and yeah, it was sitting in a sofa and he was doing a recording and uh, the app said AF detected. Really? He called me and said, is it Lars, what, what's happening? And your app made a mistake. He said, interesting, do another recording, do another one. Yeah. And when we looked at the data, there was actually something happening at that moment. It was like, it, it's like a, a flip this switch was flipped on his heart rhythm and wow. for one hour long he had an af episode and after like one no, hour like no like no doubt off. like black and white he he had black it. and white you you could you could see the, i mean you don't need a cardiologist to see and the signal that this was something happening wow and then after one hour the flip switched off again and his rhythm was perfectly normal so that that wow. meant that if if he went to the physician or to the to the er and he was sitting in a waiting room to get an ECG. They wouldn't. They it, wouldn't have. They they wouldn't have. No, no. And at that moment, it became yeah. So we uh, we went with this data to his cardiologist and said, okay, we know this is a research application, but this is what we found. And it was so powerful that they could say, wow, you documented this paroxysmal episode or this yeah. intermittent episode, which we otherwise would never have found. Wow. Uh, and given the risk factor of your father, he had a stroke. We now need to treat him to prevent a second stroke from happening because he's a ticking time bomb right now. But like, and just but to be totally clear, if he hadn't have used your app, he would that would never have, they would never have known. Exactly. Wow. And and that's pretty impressive to see that uh, even with a research tool, um, you actually can make that kind of impact. Yeah. And then then you start thinking, okay, my dad already had a stroke. But how many people out there are actually unaware they have a problem and will develop a stroke? So mm. then it became the idea that we should get this out, out, out there. 
Yeah. And that would never happen with a research project. No. So we decided to wrap this into a, an idea and actually start a company. Okay. Wow. And then, and when was that? That was when, when did that sort of happen? That was uh, summer 2014. We decided to uh, start the company and then we, then, then actually the journey starts because then you need to evolve from a research project to a medical device yeah. uh, in digital health, which was a completely uncharted pathway. And we had to figure out our way moving forward. And in 2017, we had uh, received CE clearance in Europe as a class two, a medical device. Nice. So congratulations. A software as a medical device. Uh, yeah. Developed. Yeah. And then you got FDA and you're also in Australia and like got every yeah, single got possible it. award under the sun. Yeah. Um, so what, what, uh, what's really interesting. So from a personal perspective, um, you know, my, my father had a stroke when, when I was 14 and um, he, he had hypertension and certain other indicators of cardiovascular disease or like, like beginning thereof. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't think it, I, we, I, I don't actually know whether it was related to AFib, but it's sort of reading your story and speaking to you before, you know, I, I can kind of relate to the, I guess, the sort of earth shattering nature of having that happen. So, you know, I feel like what you're doing is, is quite incredible, really, given that, you know, has anything, has anything else come along in the intervening period or are you really still the only people that are trying to do it this way in this manner? So I know there's things like that. I know there's, you know, there are other, you know, there's like smartphone ECG stuff, like, you yep. know, a live core and a few other people like that, but there's still just snapshot stuff. Right. Um, well, it, 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 it's a very, it's a very good question. And it, it's all about positioning. I would say yeah. uh, those ECG devices, they are extremely powerful. I, I, we're, we're, we don't consider them as competitors because that's a different, that's a different space. Okay. You as a, as a consumer need to purchase a device and you get a high quality ECG recording. Yeah. Where our focus is more on those people that don't have access to this technology. Right. How can they be helped? So it's like a pre-phase. Or yeah, a, it's a like preventative, before. right? So like I wouldn't, if I was, yeah. if, is it a bit like I'm just more interested in keeping an eye on things. So I'm not going to buy an ECG. That's crazy. But I do, I would download an app and I would pay five euros a month or whatever it is, or 10 euros a month to keep a track of things. It, it's um i would say we have two application domains one is in, in the preventative side so that we call this a, the detection or the pre-screening mode yeah where you would identify people uh, that have symptoms and say hey these symptoms they are relevant please see your physician with this uh, or those that are completely unaware and they're just concerned because like you mentioned my father had this so maybe i'm at risk i need to do this and we see that this this concern this this uh, worry to well is one of the largest groups in our um, in our consumer base mm. that is actually finding the incentive to use the Feedly Check application for them. Okay. On the other side of the spectrum, you have those people that have been treated before or had a, a surgery or an intervention, and they need to be followed up and monitored. Uh, and then you see that's not like identifying the problem, but right. seeing the effect of the therapy and deciding the success of the therapy. That okay. also has an application area in that one. And which... And th- are they at the moment are they both of similar um what's the word scale for you or is one more i know they both have i know no question they both have applications right but they're pretty they're quite different because one is direct to consumer and the other one is sort of more via healthcare providers which is slightly different that 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 ties into our go-to-market strategy we had since we were in the market so initially we started exclusively in the healthcare space because with an app, we need to build trust and credibility. Yeah. The doctor needs to believe it. Otherwise, yeah. it's also like the, then, <clears throat> the that, worst that, thing we a... cut, you know, I remember when the, when, um, 
that Apple Watch did its first um, ECG and they got absolutely slated because you, they had thousands and thousands of people deluging cardiologists with, with stuff from the watch yep. and they didn't have that kind of clinical buy-in. Exactly. And that, that, is, that is one of the key learnings I had as a digital health or having a digital health company is that um, if you don't have the buy-in, you, you will not, it, it, there's a gatekeeper and you need to ensure yeah. that that gatekeeper accepts you. So if that acceptance is there and that can be a GP, that can be a cardiologist and electrophysiologist, then you're able to, to bring value to them. Uh, so the, I would say the first year and a half, we worked on this medical domain and space. Uh, and then we transitioned more towards consumer models where we felt that, okay, in order to reach more people, we actually need to have a different approach uh, and that it can be uh, consumer incentivized. Today, we see that the consumers are in the preventive space typically, or more yeah. like the, I, I have problems, but I need to, or I want to uh, want to know more information. Whilst on the other side, you have those uh, clinical sites and centers that are treating patients and they're looking for an efficient follow-up tool for those patients. And it's, it's more positioned in such a way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the majority of our population, I think 80% is on the consumer side and 20% is on the medical side because the application area is completely different. But from a yeah. value perspective, they are they're very, very so close to each other. It, it's very similar. I mean, you're, you're further ahead than we are, but it's very similar to the way that we think about our, our strategy with PocDoc. So we've, we've, we've developed, um, in a weird way, we had the same conversation where we said, well, if you want to give yourself a blood test using just your smartphone, mm-hmm. how would you do that? And you, yep. people were like, oh, well, you could use a reader. You said, no, 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 just your smartphone. How would you do yeah. that? And that kind of takes you down a pathway of creating a very simple, take, took us down a pathway of creating very simple um, fingerprint blood tests that, that have um, some, and the building a software algorithm that can detect and can um, analyze very minute color changes that's calibrated with the concentration and so on. Then anyway, we, 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 our first product is focused around a full cardiovascular screen. Mm-hmm. And we feel the same way, which is that there's a, there's a very large and growing body of consumers that are interested in keeping a track of these markers themselves. Um, and they have difficulties, obstacles in going to the doctors, not just, not just now post pandemic, but also before they're busy. They, they don't, they want to do things where they, they at their home, you know, on their own time, but similar. And so they're more of a preventative aspect. So it's more of, I'd just like to keep a track of things. I'd like to know where I stand. And um, mm-hmm. as I get older, you know, like the 40 plus is a bit like you. And then with the healthcare organization for us, it's, it's about if you've already been diagnosed with those things, then there are certain markers that you do definitely need to keep a track of and trying to provide a simple remote way to monitor those to do, to do an immediate, but remote blood test. That's a really valuable way where we feel PocDoc can help. So it's quite, it's kind of a similar, it sounds like it's a similar philosophy. Exactly. And I think you can have no doubt that the last year, thanks to COVID, um, this this sector has been completely revolutionized. I'm not sure if you experienced it the same yeah. way, but for us, the world has changed in one year time. Yeah, I mean, we. Well, I'm sure it's the same for you, but all of our clinical advisors and medical advisory board, you know, they all consistently say they've seen more more innovation and more acceptance of innovation in, in the last 12 months than in the last, you know, 10 years or something like that. Uh, the question is, is, how much does it stay around? But the from both the supply and the demand side. So for, for, I think there's, there's going to be an acceleration of remote solutions. This is my view anyway, which is that people are going to have less time and less inclination to go to a clinical location to receive mm-hmm. a service. And from the side of the provision of that service, 
they are going to going to have to limit access to only the most serious of um, of of uh, instances. So on both sides, I think that, that yeah, the remote piece is going to become more important, and I think that that brings us nicely onto how you've evolved your Fribbercheck story into actually helping, trying to help accelerate. Uh, I guess the growth and, and the, the, the market access for other health tech apps using your, your platform. So, so tell us about that. Yeah. And that, that's indeed a very interesting phase or new chapter to our book. We're adding, uh, having Phoebe check as a very vertical product installed. We, we are really cracking down on all the barriers that you have as a digital health tool to get to market. Uh, all these different regulatory challenges uh, that we had in the last four or five years. Yeah. Basically, all that knowledge and know-how and IP, how to do this is actually being consolidated into our engine, which is our cloud that's behind FiproCheck. Uh, today, we are uh, in such a mature phase of that cloud environment that we are now bringing this forth as a new product. We call this Extra Horizon. It's okay. basically a, a medical cloud infrastructure on which digital health products can be built faster and actually okay. go to market way faster, meaning that okay. you actually start with a mature environment and speed up your way. And this is a new this is a new chapter that has been open for the last three months. And we already see a lot of activity, a lot of interest from this growing community because yeah, Digital Health has now kickstarted last year that actually finds value in such a tool to accelerate them because everybody's always reinventing the wheel on this. They're yeah. spending resources on something that's, that is um, that everybody needs to build. So let's just back up a second. When what the, the value of having something like this to someone to, to a company that is building or developing a, their own digital health app or digital health service, why is what you're doing helpful to them? Because yeah. I, I I think I know why, but be helpful just to in in basic terms explain to everyone listening why does that matter? Like why why does the cloud infrastructure really matter for a mobile or digital health solution? Yeah. If you if you look at a digital health solution, you have different pieces of a puzzle. You have, um, for instance, a device, a hardware device that records a signal or does something. It needs to send this data to somewhere. So typically a smartphone is a gateway in between. Yeah. So, that means, so that means like if I've got a wireless blood pressure monitor, it, I instance, put it on, it sends the blood pressure information to my f- smartphone, which then yeah. has to send it on somewhere else. Exactly. And then, then it becomes the question, what do you do with the data recorded? Do you need to analyze it or just show the value or whatever needs to be done? If you're analyzing data, then you are becoming algorithms. And then yep. you, with a new medical device classification, it puts a very strict regulation on your product, meaning that you need to find a way to not burden the smartphone with this problem, yep. but actually a cloud and the connectivity centralizing data becomes, I would say, the core of your product. Uh, that means that in a cloud environment, you'll have your algorithm, but the entire business logic, the entire GDPR, the entire privacy issues that you have, everything that you need to think about how to bring scale and maintain a medical device in the market, yeah. that is all dependent on your cloud. And yeah. then suddenly your cloud becomes the heavyweight uh, and requires a lot of your investment to go to, to make sure that it can keep up with your business. Yeah. So instead of building your own cloud, why not mm-hmm. focus on your algorithm and your IP and your products yeah. and just yeah use a server like you would use an amazon server basically for yeah. uh, for building a, a regular product so i think that that's that that's the mindset yeah so i think it's it's you know certainly when we when we started we had a pretty pretty steep education in in the difference between building a back-end server infrastructure for a tech business and building it for a 
health tech business. Um, and it's very different because of the regulatory requirement to be for you to be able to guarantee accuracy, safety, you know, low risk of harm at all times to the users of your product, which, you know, if you're selling something in a shop, you know, you can guarantee the quality of each one of the things that you sell. You can do batch testing. You can have, you know, quality management systems at the factory. But if you've got people downloading your app all of the time, some people might be on a slightly older version because they haven't updated it and so on and so forth. And so, yeah, it becomes extremely important to be able to maintain that sort of consistency and, and quality. Yeah. And, and just, just to reference this, so our cloud infrastructure, when we did our FDA submission, it was containing 8,000 pages of documentation that is associated with this. Wow. That's basically work and effort you put into a medical device that you actually should not be doing because that's yeah resources you better spend on staying innovative on the front side instead mm -hmm. of reinventing the wheel on the backside. And I think that's, that's the mindset. So That's why we have now a toolbox, um, a, a do-it-yourself toolbox principle. There are modules. You can configure those modules com how you would like your product to look like. And okay. that actually reduces your go-to-market on a technical level from months to weeks wow. uh, on that side. That's cool. And what's the reception been like for that? Uh, very, very positive. We have uh, three very exciting projects. I cannot disclose too much. No, about them, secret, one secret squirrel. One, one, one has been uh, announced already, uh, okay. which is... Um, which is coming out in the next weeks on the market. Where, okay. um, if you look to, for instance, COVID tests, they, yeah. they are typically using these rapid tests, yeah. but they suffer from accuracy and sensitivity because um, the chemicals on there are not always easy to read with a, yeah. with a naked eye, and then people are sent to the lab. So now there's this company that built a very advanced sensor, and okay. they work together with a company that does very advanced chemicals mm. and they have made a digital COVID test that oh, is cool. actually way more sensitive but they want to have a connected infrastructure for this and in a, in a matter of 12 weeks time we were able to set up a complete connected ecosystem based on X-Horizon that actually brings this digital COVID test or millions of digital COVID tests to the market in, in okay. a matter of no time and that's actually the, the, the exciting thing that's happening but you see that this entire space is now moving and, and yeah. it's like Uh, bubbling with ideas and, and new opportunities that for such a technology to be to play a role in so is that a, is that still a rapid covid test but just a digital one a, or is it... it it is a digital it's a digital high sensitive rapid covid test oh wow okay and can you say can you say the company or not not yet not really uh yes sure it's on our, on our website we have a press release on this so we've worked there with ams which is a, um, a stock noted company okay. a blue chip company and um they work with It's Sinova. It's a German company. Okay. Uh, and, and we have developed a green light system together with them where we cool. are responsible for the cloud and the connectivity and the mobile part. And that's basically where we are strong at because we are a software company building medical software solutions. And that's, that's actually where we find the added value. Cool. And when's that launching in the market? Are they, are they CE marked yet or nearly? They, they are CE marked and we expect the coming weeks to have some more, um, some more news on this. Oh, that's awesome. That will be hopefully quite a big game changer. Yes, I, I, definitely for us to, to, to show the maturity of the platform that such players are actually using this, this infrastructure, that is for us a, a significant game changer in the perception we have as yeah. a national health company. Yeah, for sure. And so just to go back to FibriCheck for a second, what's the kind of, because you're, you're, you, you're in the US and, and Australia and, the, and Europe, so what is the kind of scale of it as, as it stands? Yeah. So um, 
Fibrecheck on a on a smartphone, we have now more than half a million users okay. uh, on the system, uh, recording millions of data sets. So we're actually building a very substantial data pool. Mm. We are constantly learning and improving our systems based on this data. Mm-hmm. But the question we're now solving is how can we actually reach more people more efficiently? Sure. And that's why we are now considering um, a concept what we call diagnostics as a service. Okay. That you don't have the FibriCheck app alone anymore, mm-hmm. but you can actually utilize its components to integrate with other solutions as well. Right. Because so like, so kind of like a white label integrated in other kind of platforms that have other aspects sort of thing not not necessarily white okay. label but more from a sense that um if you look to digital health everybody's building point solutions but there's yeah. no aggregator on top okay. and the question is how can you aggregate things together if you have if you're only part of a problem i would say sure and our opportunity now is that we can actually enable this ecosystem we're creating to become more connected and integrated uh, and that also third parties can send data to us for processing and for providing okay. them feedback back so it's like an AI engine that okay. can either have its own product or connect with other products to to engage with, and that's that's a very interesting concept that we're yeah. we're trying to materialize because there is quite some regulatory engineering required to make this fit. But yeah, that's a challenge we like to take. Yeah, so I, would ima- I would imagine there's going to be a bit of a yeah a regulatory discussion to be had on that one. But no, that definitely sounds super definitely. interesting. So other than so, what's next? Do you think for for you guys other than your extra horizons? What what is what what's the future? Do you think in the next six? Oh, I, <laughs> I I think I think the the so from from our perspective we have two two pathways we're we're running. One is a FibriCheck one, which is very vertical. The X Horizon is way more horizontal. Hmm. FibriCheck is providing a lot of learnings and insights what X Horizon should be doing. From FibriCheck side, we are smartphone diagnostics as a service. Hmm. We are definitely aiming towards reimbursement opportunities because we okay. see we're pretty far matured in that process. And I think that that will definitely keep us busy for the next 12 months to, to work on, uh, uh, to catch up on this once. I bet. And so with Fibricheck, you must have, have you had, like, you must have had so many personal stories come through about, you know, how literally it helped save a life for, I mean, that must be incredibly inspiring. I, I think that's one of the most important drivers we have with the people that work in our team, because of course, everything we do is, Thanks to them, uh, mm. it, it feels like you need to bring the right people together and you find a, a, a very big commonality between them and that's this personal engagement. What they are doing, it's actually making a difference. Okay. And that, that is a huge driver for motivation internally. Okay, I can imagine. Yeah, um, good. Well, look, Lars, thank you so much for coming on the show and thank You're you welcome. to everyone for listening. And I, I genuinely, I wish you all the best. And like, I'm actually going to go try and download Frippy Check right now um and become a customer because this is right up my street well because for for me i you know i think quite a lot about well you know is the thing that happened to my father genetic so like i would quite like to keep an eye on that stuff so i certainly i certainly will um but yeah thanks a lot for coming on the show and we'll let you know if something goes wrong so uh, (laughs) yeah 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 yeah, exactly yeah send me an email something anyway lars just very very nice being here thanks likewise okay take care steve Hi, this is Steve Roost, and you're listening to Health Tech Hour on UK Health Radio, the world's number one talk health radio.